Well, last Sunday was an exciting Sunday um, and uh, an extremely humbling Sunday. And uh, so I'm, I'm really excited to be able to uh, become the lead pastor of Harmony Christian Church. Um, I'm already I'm getting asked where my tie is. You probably won't see too many of those. That's one thing that might be a little different. <laughs> um, but I am. I'm, I'm honored to be able to lead this congregation. And, and honestly, there's in many ways I don't feel qualified to do that. Um, but I also know who lives inside of me. And I know the Holy Spirit is in me. And I know that, that through him anything's possible. And so because of that, I, you know, I, I feel like the Lord is going to do some amazing things. Um, I do want to say just a little bit, since I really didn't get a chance to, to speak much last week, um, just uh, how grateful Amber and I are for Pastor Ron and Jackie. You know, seven years ago, it's been a little over seven years ago, we were in Alabama. Uh, we were at the Ram School of Ministry. We had no plans of moving home anytime soon. We, were there for, we had been there for two years, and we thought we were going to be there for several more. And uh, after coming home from, I think it was Christmas or one of the holidays, Easter, one of the holidays we came, I think it was Easter, we came home. And uh, both of us just begin to feel that stirring uh, of hearing the Lord just calling us home. And so we, we started feeling that stirring, and uh, we knew one thing when we came home for sure is that we wanted to come home to a place uh, where we can sit under leaders uh, that were legitimate leaders, that were humble leaders, and that were ones that were following after Jesus with everything that they had. And so uh, we wanted that even over the style we're used to. Because let me tell you, coming, going from the ramp culture where it's loud music and energetic and, and just fire all the time, and then coming you know, to a, a little country church, it was a, a culture change, a, co- a total culture change for us. But it was worth it to us because we were looking not for a style, we were looking again for legitimate leaders to sit under. And, and that's why we came to this church. That and obviously the blue carpet drew us. When we walked in and saw that, it was, we were sold. The royal blue, it, that sold us. But, but more, more importantly, Ron and Jackie were why we came. And, and I want to say uh, just how incredible leaders they are. And, and you all know that too. They're, they're selfless. They put the church, they put others above themselves. They, they did that for us for all seven years we were here and all five years we were on staff. Amber and I never felt like we weren't heard. We never felt like like we were being taken advantage of. Um, they were always looking out for our best interests. And I know that so many in, you, in this congregation uh, can say the same thing. And uh, so what an honor it's been uh, to be able to sit under him. And, and even though he keeps telling me that, you know, I'm the lead pastor, I, still, I, I will still always sit underneath him and underneath Ron and Jackie and under their guidance and their, and their mentorship and their leadership. Um, people have asked me several times, uh, you know, what, what kind of things do you think you're going to change? What kind of things do you think you're going to do differently? And I've always thought that was kind of a weird question because, honestly, I've never thought of it like that because I, I don't know what I would change. They've, they've led this congregation so, so well um, and that I, I honestly can't, I can't give you an answer for that question. So if you're going to ask me that, that's, that's going to be my, I, I really don't know what will change. I'm sure over time things will change just because we're different. You know, and we have different personalities and things may change, you know, a little bit here and there. But I know one thing will remain constant, and that is we're going to pursue the Holy Spirit, pursue Jesus with everything that we have. And I, and I believe that we're going to grow 
as a church. We're going to grow spiritually. We're going to go from glory to glory to glory, not because leadership has changed, but because we're both after the same thing. We're both after seeking the Holy Spirit and seeking the Father with everything that we have. And that's one thing that will never change in this church is that we're going to go from glory to glory because we're going to still pursue him with everything that we have. Amen? Are you guys with me on that? Amen. And so I, I want to talk to you a little bit this morning. This leads into that. I want to talk to you a little bit this morning about, about family, which we're going to be hearing a lot about that uh, these next few months probably. Um, it's something, it's a, it's a topic that the Lord begins stirring in our hearts really at the beginning of the year and has been just speaking different things over, over the, the idea of family and not just, not just individual families, although we are talking about individual families within the church. That's why we did the whole marriage series because we just believe so strongly that the Lord is speaking to harmony about family, but also as family as a church, as a church family. What does it look like to be a church family? Um, and, and I believe, you know, as a church, we're, we're, we, you'll hear us a lot talk about the kingdom, right? And about, uh, about living in the kingdom and about doing kingdom things. And throughout the Bible, Jesus talked about the kingdom. Well, a kingdom is a family structure. Think about it. When the queen of England dies, who's going to become the next ruler? It's not going to be some random person that somebody voted on. It's going to be her son is going to raise up and become the next ruler. A kingdom is not a denomination. It's not a peop- group of people that believe a certain way. It's a family. It's brothers and sisters and fathers and mothers. And I, and I believe that that's where sometimes, not necessarily Harmony Church, but the church as a whole has gotten wrong, is that we've congregated under the umbrella of same belief systems and belief styles, and we've gathered in under denominational names, and we've gathered under like-minded people that believe doctrinally the same as us. And all of that's well and good, and, and obviously it's, it's important to agree, and it's important to, to have, have similar belief systems, but more importantly than that, it's more important to gather as family. It's more important rather than to find somebody that you agree with. It's more important to find somebody that can, that can be a father and a mother over you and a brother and sister to you. And I believe that that's what the Lord is wanting to reestablish here. We, Harmony has done family so well. That's one thing that we have done really well. But I think the Lord just wants to highlight it even more and saying we're not congregating in this place because we all agree over every little issue. Because believe me, I'm probably going to preach some things that you may not totally agree with sometimes. But we're not here. I love how Pastor Ron said it last week. That uh, how, how did you say it last week? <laughs> I have it written down because I thought it was good. Go to the website. <laughs> Listen to last week's message. Uh, something about unity. Here it is. It's not about coming into complete agreement. It's about coming into complete unity. And that's what family is about, that we can disagree sometimes. In fact, it's healthy to disagree because that's how you grow right? That's how you learn new things is that you maybe disagree, but it's not about whether we agree or not. It's about whether or not the Lord has placed us in the same family. And, and so I believe that the Lord's going to be speaking to us a lot about family in the upcoming months um, and weeks as we go along. Um, but to this morning, I want to talk specifically to you about legacy, about legacy. Again, this whole idea of family uh, and, and about church it is, again, we're not, we're not necessarily just congregating to get biblical knowledge. We're congregating to get an inheritance. 
And again, that goes all the way back to family. That we're actually in this building, not just so we can gain biblical knowledge, but so that we can gain, so that we can gain inheritance. That we are co-heirs with Christ. That we are sons and daughters of God. And that in that, we receive an inheritance. See, I would rather have revelation as an inheritance than just biblical knowledge. Because there's a lot of people that know a lot about the Bible, but they have no inheritance from the Father. And, and it's a totally different thing. You can know a lot of things about Scripture, but have no inheritance from the Father. And that's why we're congregating this morning is for inheritance. And, and with inheritance comes this idea of legacy. So let me jump into this whole idea of legacy. And to do that, I want to I tell you a, a story um, uh, that, uh, uh, a, a story of, of, I'm stumbling all over. Here we go. Of New Oxford. Have you ever heard of the college in, uh, in I think it's in Britain, England. Thank you. <laughs> I'll get her. I'll get going here in a second. Uh, it's it's new Ox. It's new university is what it's called or new college, and it's an Oxford campus there in England. Thank you. I got it right finally. Um, it, which was built centuries and centuries ago. It's one of the oldest campuses that Oxford actually has. Within the campus, there's this there's this the great banquet hall. It's this huge open banquet building or banquet hall with these beautiful oak beams that stretch all the way across the ceiling. And those oak beams have been there since the college was built. Well, one, one day, uh, 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 the maintenance guy got up to look at the, ba- the beams and check them out and make sure they were good and found out that they be- had begun to rot. And so the, the university got together and started making a plan on how they were going to, to, re, uh, uh, to uh, refurbish the, the, great, the great hall, the great banquet hall, and they wanted to replace those beams with the exact same kind of oak beams um, that were in the oak hall, or in the great hall. The, I'm doing a great job, bang up job of the story. <laughs> so they wanted to replace these beams. The only problem was is these beams were two feet by two feet and 45 feet long. We got a lumberjack here. In, in our congregation, and he, he already probably knows how nearly impossible it is to find a beam, an oak beam that is that large, because you have to, you have to take it from a tree that has grown that tall, that is that mature, so you can put it all, create this whole beam out of one solid piece of wood. So the college began looking around for these oak beams, for these trees that would be worthy enough to cut down and to be able to replace these beams in the hall. And they searched forever and were not able to find it. They, they, they were determined to find them and, and wasn't able to. And they, they came to the realization that this was going to be impossible to do. And uh, so in a last-ditch effort, one of the college administrators talked to one of the foresters that was around that area and asked him, hey, do you have any idea where we can find a group of trees where we can make these replace these oak beams from? And the guy looked at him and said, I'm, I thought you would never ask. He said, over 500 years ago, because this, this happened centuries ago, over 500 years ago, the guys who built this building, who built uh, the, the great banquet hall in this building, this college, actually planted oak trees, a grove of oak trees, at the same time that they built the building. Because they knew that one day these oak beams would need to be placed. And so they actually planted a whole grove of oak trees that were right there on the campus, right in front of them, that were now tall enough and wide enough to be able to cut down 
and to replace the beams. Talk about foresight. That's what I'm talking about when I'm talking about legacy, is that they were not thinking of their current generation. They were thinking of generations 500 years down the road. And their, their focus wasn't solely on just the lifetime that they lived in, but it was actually on generations down the road. And what I want to challenge us this morning in is that we begin broadening our view of our lifetime. That we stop thinking just of our, of our own personal lifetime and we start thinking generationally. We start thinking of legacy. We start thinking of what can my life's impact, uh, what can my life, how can it impact generations down the road? And, and I want to show you a story out of uh, 1 Corinthians where we see this happening. 1 Corinthians chapter 17, let me give you a little context of what's happening here. David has just, uh, just become king over all of Israel. So he was king over just Judah. Well, now he has, has been called uh, king over all of Israel. And he has moved his, his headquarters to Jerusalem and has set up his, his castle, his, his place of living, his headquarters in the city of Jerusalem. When he gets to Jerusalem, he says, I'm not going to do this thing without the ark because the ark represents the presence of God, right? So he says, I'm not going to do these things without the ark. So he goes and gets the ark, which the Philistines had had. He gets the ark back and he brings it into Jerusalem. So he brings the ark into Jerusalem. He has his headquarters there in Jerusalem. He's there. His kingdom is up. And he says this. He says, after David was settled in his palace, he said to Nathan the prophet, here I am living in a house of cedar while the ark of the covenant of the Lord is under a tent. Next verse. Nathan replied to David, whatever you have in mind, do it for God is with you. So David is saying, listen, I'm living in this beautiful palace and the ark is in a tent. So David has in his mind that I'm going to build this magnificent temple so that the ark can reside in the temple instead of a tent. Go to the next verse. It says, but that night the word of God came to Nathan saying, Go and tell my servant David, this is what the Lord says. You are not the one to build me a house to dwell in. After David was settled in his palace, this, this jumps, uh, jumps to the next verse here, or jumps a little bit of verses. I'm sorry, go back. It says, so Nathan tells him that he's not going to be the one to build the house. And then it says, go, and, go to the next verse. <laughs> Let's just start over. Go all the way back. <laughs> After David was settled in his palace, he said to Nathan the prophet, Here I am living in a house of cedar, while the ark of the covenant of the Lord is under a tent. Nathan replied to David, Whatever you have in mind, do it, for God is with you. But that night the word of God came to Nathan, saying, Go and tell my servant David, this is what the Lord says. You are not the one to build me a house to dwell in. Go ahead. So this is where we skip ahead a couple of verses. Now we're in verse 11. When your days are over and you go to be with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, and one of your own sons and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for me, and I will establish his throne forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. I will never take my love away from him as I took it away from your predecessor. I will set him over my house and my kingdom forever, 
his throne will be established forever. So here, here again, David wants to build the temple for the ark to dwell in, for the presence of God to dwell in. But Nathan tells him, listen, the, fa- the father just spoke to me and said, you will not be the one to do this. And, and, the, and the verses I skipped, the reason why is because David had too much bloodshed, it said, on his hands. That David was a warrior, and, and the father said that it's not going to be a warrior who builds my temple. It's going to be a man of peace who builds my temple. So your son will be actually the one to build the temple. So here's, here's the amazing part of this story, is that, that David goes on and, and, be, and rules Israel, and in the latter days of his life, he begins thinking about the next generation. And he knows that he's not able to build the temple, but he wants his legacy to be on that temple. And so what he does is he begins gathering all of the materials needed to build the temple. He gets all of the metal needed. He gets all of the wood needed. He, start, he talks to other kings and other kingdoms and asks them for materials, and other kings and kingdoms begin sending materials in. He, he gathers all the finances that are needed. He even gathers all the architects, all the builders, everything that is needed. He finds the plot of land that the, that the ark is going to sit on and that the temple is going to sit on. He gathers everything together to the point where literally all Solomon had to do was say, Go and the temple would be built. He gathers all of the supplies, all of these things together, and then he hands the kingdom over to Solomon, and then David dies. He gets all of the stuff together and hands the kingdom over and then dies. And then the first thing Solomon does as king is begins to build the temple where the ark resides. And I love this about David, that David had generations in mind that he knew that he would never see the temple standing, but he went ahead and began making preparations for it before he, before he passed the kingdom on. And I love that about David, that he thought generationally, that he thought of the next generation. He wasn't about just building his own kingdom, but about establishing the kingdom for his son as well, and that he had foresight to think about the next generations. And if you can view legacy correctly, this is an important statement, so listen. If you can view legacy correctly, it cancels timelines. That if you can view legacy correctly, it cancels timelines. If you don't accomplish it, but you help pave the way for the next generation to do it, it's as though you did it as well. That though David was not able to build the temple, his name still was on that temple. And that, that generations knew that David had a hand in building that temple. And that's what's beautiful, again, if we begin to see generationally and really begin to see like God does. Who, who is God? He's the ancient of days. He's never had a beginning, and he'll never have an end. He's been alive for all of eternity, and he will be alive for all of eternity. He is outside of time. So if we begin to look through his lenses and see our lifetime and see see the world through his eyes, then it cancels all of our timelines. It, it cancels all of, it takes all the pressure off of us to have to accomplish everything within our lifetime. That, that you know, we're, the Lord has really been turning our hearts to the city of Elwood. And, and God has been doing some amazing things with Harmony House, with Doug, and, and, and working on, and, um, uh, working in the city with homeless people and the people that are in deep poverty and in deep need. 
and and we have now uh, I don't think they're here this morning, but the the football coach of 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 the school comes to this church and and is wanting to make an impact in the school and and the Lord's really been turning our hearts to Elwood and Elwood is in desperate need of of Jesus right they're in desperate need and talking with Ron uh, who is the coach in the school that seeing that this this thing of of this generational mindset of poverty and of drugs and, and alcohol abuse that all of this is just a it's a generational thing that you can look back and see where their great-great-grandpa was living in poverty and was addicted to drugs and alcohol, and he passed it to his son, and he passed it to his son, and he passed it to his son, and now, now the, the kids are in school, and they're, they, they're dealing with the same mindset, the same structure, and it's this generational thing, and I believe the Lord has put Doug in that place and has put Ron and Shelly in that place and is calling even us to go into Elwood and help to break that cycle of poverty and addiction and that the Lord is going to begin doing those things. But, but listen, I believe wholeheartedly that the Lord is beginning to do those things. But if we don't see it in our lifetime fully happen, it doesn't mean that the promise of God wasn't true. That if we begin the process of, of, of doing what the Lord has told us to do, and we walk in full obedience to what the Lord has called us to do, maybe we won't see it happen in our lifetime, but maybe our kids will see it happen. I believe Elwood is going to be an incredible testimony of Jesus one of these days. That the city that, if you talk to people now, they, they talk about how you know, they don't even want to drive through the city. That, it, that, that someday it's going to be a beacon of hope to people, that, that there used to be drug addicts living on the streets, and now it's a place where drug addicts come to get set free. I believe that the Lord's going to do that in Elwood, but if it doesn't happen in our lifetime, it doesn't mean that the Lord lied to us. That the Lord sees beyond just our lifetime, and he sees generations from now, and maybe it's us that begin paving the way, just like David did for the temple that we begin gathering the supplies, we begin calling the workers in, that we get, make it everything possible necessary for revival to come to that city, and then maybe one of these days our kids are going to see it happen because we begin to pave the way for it to happen. We have to begin thinking bigger than our lifetime. Abraham in the Bible was, was promised a multitude of, of people. He was promised that nations would come from him and Sarah. That nations would come from him. That, his, that he would have children as vast as the seas on the, on the seashore. He had two kids. And then he had, so he had Isaac, and then Isaac had Jacob, and then Jacob birthed the twelve, or he didn't birth them, his wives did. <laughs> but from Jacob came the twelve nations of Israel. That literally, what, two generations later, the promise was fulfilled. That God gave Abraham the promise and he never saw it in his lifetime. Does that, did that mean God didn't answer, that, that God wasn't true to his promise to Abraham? No, because the promise came to pass two generations later. I even think of Jesus. Jesus came to restore the entire world, right? He came with the, the, the greatest news that has ever come to this world, the, the new gospel. And he placed the good news of the gospel in 12 men. 
and then he died on a cross. Jesus himself didn't spread the gospel to the entire world. He put the gospel in 12 men that then went about and spread the gospel to the entire world. And we have to, again, stop thinking. I'm going to say this 100 times today that we have to stop thinking about our own, just our own timeline and having to accomplish everything within our timeline and start thinking that maybe generations from now, what the Lord has promised us, that maybe it's going to be our kids or our grandkids that see the fulfillment of, our, of that promise. And then, we become, then it becomes this, what can we do to be as obedient as we can to the Father, to begin paving the way, to begin chipping away at the rock, to be able to see come to pass, to be able to make a way for our grandkids to be able to see the promise come to pass. Amen? We have to start thinking generationally. Amen? God's plan has always been to go from glory to glory to glory. And that's why I believe, and I said this at the beginning, that's why I believe we're about to step into bigger things here at the church. Not because, again, I said this before, not because of a leadership change, but because that's just God's nature that he builds on what previous generations have done. And that what Pastor Ron has accomplished, I'm not going to have to work to accomplish it because he's already accomplished it. And, and then what, I'm, what, what we accomplish now in this, in, under a new leadership, what we accomplish, the next generation is not going to have to accomplish because we're not building our own kingdoms. We're building upon the kingdoms that were already established before us. And we're going, again, from glory to glory to glory. Pastor Ron mentioned last week about Elijah and how Elijah passed his mantle down to Elisha, and because of that, Elisha then walked in double portion anointing, that, that he had double on his life what his mentor had on his own life, that Elisha walked in Elijah's anointing and his own anointing, and the two came together and became double. The problem is, is when Elisha died, he had nobody to pass the mantle on to that he, raised, he didn't raise up another son behind him to be able to pass the generation or the, be able to pass the anointing onto. That actually it says, the, the Bible records that when Elisha died, they buried him in a tomb and some tomb raiders came and was, was robbing some different graves and they uh, had a body with them and somebody started, a guard came along and so they threw the body in the tomb of Elisha, not realizing it. And it said that the, the body touched Elisha's bones and then came back to life which is an amazing story, but it's a sad story because that meant that all of that anointing was in a grave on dry, dead bones, not being used. That everything that he accomplished went with him in the grave and was resting in a tomb on dry, dead bones. What would have happened if he had a son that he raised up? If he had another person that he raised up to be able to pass the anointing on to, I believe that that person could have been walking in a triple anointing. Because that's just the nature of God. He goes from glory to glory to glory. And I'm afraid too many times, I'm going to talk about the church, I'm not necessarily just harmony, but the church as a whole, I'm afraid too many times that's what happens, is we raise up, we, we, we don't raise up people, we don't raise up predecessors to be able to take the anointing further than we had because we're so worried about our own kingdom and our own anointing and our, and, and our own name that we don't raise up other people to be able to take on, take what we did, and then excel it even more. 
and to grow it even more and to walk in a deeper anointing and that we become less so that they can become more. And that's what happened with Elisha. He, he didn't pass on generational blessing. He didn't pass on that double portion anointing. And because of that, his anointing died with him in the grave. And this is why we have to think generationally. So that what we have, what you have as an individual, what the Lord has given to you goes on to the next generation. And that the Lord can take on to another stage of glory and another stage of glory. And, that's, and, and that way, revivals never have to die. That's why, again, and I, I keep harping on this, that's why revivals pass away. That's why we have a, a season where the Lord is doing amazing things in a place, and then out of nowhere, the movement just dies and goes away. It's because we're not raising up sons to be able to take that mantle and to keep pursuing the Lord like, like we did and, and to pass on what we've already accomplished so then they have to start all over again. And so we need to begin to become, again, generationally minded. And this even, I'm, I'm, I'm going to wrap up here soon. Um, this even, I, I want to even apply this to even our flaws and the things that maybe we, uh, the sins that we've maybe inherited even from our fathers and the generational things that maybe we have inherited, that what would it look like if you broke that off of your family now so that your kid doesn't have to deal with it? What if your family has a cycle of divorce and that generation after generation deals with this issue of divorce, but you determine that it's going to end here with my family? I'm not going to pass this generational curse onto my kids. Or maybe it's pornography, or maybe it's, uh, I don't know, whatever it is. Maybe it's poverty. Maybe it's uh, uh, drug addiction. Whatever it is that you decide that with my lifetime, I'm going to end this thing so that the next generation doesn't have to deal with it. And, and, and we begin, once again, to think generationally like that. What would it look like if your children didn't have to make the same mistakes that you made and that your father made and that his father made? What if they could actually start where we stop instead of having to start all over again? Wow. What if our pursuit of Jesus was so strong and was so, we could, we could get so far in him that when we die one of these days and we pass on, that our kids don't have to start where we started seeking Jesus, but they could start where we finished. Man, I'm telling you, we would go from glory to glory to glory, and that's God's intent. Not that generations would have to start over every time, but that one, what one generation accomplishes, the next generation wouldn't have to do it. What would happen if our generation ended abortion and the next generation didn't have to deal with that? What would happen if, if our generation did some of these, these things and the next generation didn't have to inherit a mess that we, that we inherited? And they were able to build upon that thing. That's, that's what I'm talking about with legacy. Is that we would leave a legacy to our kids, to our grandkids, that in this church that we would leave a legacy. That how far we go, the next generation will be able to pick up that mantle and go even further. And that's, that's what I mean when we talk about generations and thinking generationally. I want to just close with this verse out of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 11, we're going to start in verse 39. 
As you, most of you know, Hebrews chapter 11 is the chapter of faith, of the, of the great faith fathers that went before us and the things that they accomplished. And, it, and it, the whole chapter, just is, it talks about our, our fathers and, and the faith that they had. And then it ends with this very interesting verse. It says, these were all commend, commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. Since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. So what God is saying here is all of these generations of fathers before us, the fathers of faith, that they actually never received or received what was promised to them because what God had intended all along was that their generation and our generation would be able to accomplish it together and that through the generations coming together, it says that we would be made perfect that what they started, we get to pick up. And then it says this, after that, and, and starting in chapter 12, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. I've been talking about a lot this morning about what our generation can accomplish for the next generation, but think about what previous generations had accomplished for us. That we are probably walking in right now what pastors before had prayed for. Harmony is how many years old? 114 years old. What prayers did other members of the Harmony congregation, other pastors pray that we are walking in today? That it's not just the generations in front of us, it's the generations behind us too. And it says that since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, of these fathers that went before us, these mothers and fathers that went before us. It says, let us throw off everything that hinders and everything that hinders and that sin that is so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race that is marked out before us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and then sat down at the right hand of the right throne of God. I love that we're coming out of this transition Sunday with the idea of passing the baton because that's exactly what we're talking about with this is that we can take the baton of previous generations and then run our race with perseverance and then we have something to hand off to them so that they can then take what we've been able to accomplish and what we've, the places we've been able to go in God and then run and go even further. And that's what I'm talking about with this generational legacy and thinking generationally. And so that's just my challenge this morning, is that we'd begin to think bigger than just our own lifetime. And that we'd begin to think about previous generations, but then also after generations after us. And that maybe the promises God has promised us, maybe it's going to be our kids and our grandkids that get to see them accomplished. Amen.